So uh, I have the privilege of telling you a story from an obscure passage of Scripture. It's just really caught my attention. And it has to do, interestingly, with this. An unusual, it's a tool. This is an awl, A-W-L. And it's used uh, to pierce holes in stuff like wood and leather. And if you pay attention as the story unfolds, you'll see, interestingly, that this little goofy instrument plays a significant role in the text before us. Little background. The Israelites have just been set free from 400 plus years in slavery. Not a good thing. Suddenly, you're given your freedom. Now, what do you do with it? A slave people doesn't know how to live free. Really good. No longer to be in slavery. Now, what do we do? You're not used to making choices. That freedom hasn't been exchanged to you. How then do we live? Well, a good God is going to help them. So he gives this formerly slave people a constitution of sorts so that they would be constituted now a free people. And that constitution is called the Ten Commandments. You can find it, if you care to, in Exodus chapter 20. But that's not all there is to it. The rest of what ensues is kind of an elaboration of those ten basic commandments. Our story is going to be from Exodus chapter 21. But here's what God's saying. You used to be kind of like everybody, but now I've distinguished you. You're my own. I kind of wedded you. I gave you the privilege of being in a covenant relationship with me. Now I'm going to set you free, and you're going to be amongst people who don't yet know me. You're going to be tempted to be just like them, but you don't get it. I don't want you to be just like them. In fact, I want you to impact on them so that they too would come to know me. So I'm going to give you some guidelines by which to live. And so God enlists the services of Moses, you heard about him, to deliver the goods to Israel. Here's the story, Exodus 21, verse 1. Now these are the ordinances which you, Moses, are to set before them. Can I show you something I found interesting? I hope you do. See the word before? In Hebrew, it's the odd word face. I think God is saying to Moses, Moses, I want you to take my expectations, these, my requirements, these ordinances, and I want you to be in the face of the people to whom they are given. I don't want them to miss out on what I expect of them. Get right in their face with it, Moses, because they're going to be facing all kinds of temptations to be like everybody else. Moses, I don't need them to be weird or odd, but I need them to be holy as I am holy. And they're going to be a bunch, uh, around a bunch of unholy people. Moses, while all this is in their face, I want you to be in their face with these requirements. You know why God does that? He doesn't do it to cramp our style or rain on our parade. Think about this transcendent deity cares about how we live. If you know him as your heavenly father, think about this. He's in your face because he's concerned about how you live. He's not indifferent. He loves you. Now, here's what's equally amazing. God commanded Moses to write all this down. The proof of it is we're reading it thousands of years removed from the time when Moses was given this. What's so amazing about God saying, write it down? Well, here was the deal in that day. If you went before a king, a ruler, a dictator, he summoned you. You had no idea why. 
You didn't know whether your head would be lopped off, whether you would ever leave his company alive. Why? Because nothing was written down. He was God to you. He didn't have to tell you anything in advance. He could just legislate stuff on the spur of the moment in accordance with what his mood is. Man, you better hope you catch him in a, in a good day uh, and in a good mood. Otherwise, he's just going to make stuff up. Nothing was standardized. In other words, the thing that we call out for today, equal justice before the law for everybody was non-existent in that day. Equal nothing. It was instability and unpredictability that ruled the day. You didn't know where you stood. Well, here comes God. And God said, I'm not like that. That's not the way I'm running the show. I'm going to clearly lay out in written form what my expectation is of you. And this is what I expect for everybody. I expect it for males and for females, for old folk and young folk, for black folk and white folk, for Jews and for Gentiles. This is equal justice before the law. That's what God said. Folks, it is remarkable. And so Israel knew exactly what to expect because God delivered the goods through Moses. Israel knew the boundaries by which she was to live. So now the story goes on. Verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years. But on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. What is up? Does the Bible talk about slavery? Yeah, it does. And because critics of the Bible are aware of that, they say the good book you naive Christians are depending on isn't so good. It talks about slavery. Folks, the critics don't know what they're talking about. Of course the Bible talks about slavery because the Bible is honest and records human behavior, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But slavery as an institution is never something that God inaugurated. It is something you'll see. God regulated. For the first time in human history, though slavery is as old as human history is, God entered the scene and regulated. But don't pin slavery on almighty God, folks. That's an evidence of our sin nature, the possession by one person of another person. But how could this be? One Hebrew owning another Hebrew. Let me explain it to you. You're a man who lived in that day, and for whatever reason, you incurred debt. The debt was pretty bad, but here's what's even a double whammy. You can't satisfy the debt. You don't have the resources. You don't know what to do about it. You approach a fellow Hebrew. You appeal to him for his mercy. He has more financial resources than you do, and you work out a deal, and you say, would you agree to these terms? Let me work for you. Let me work off the debt. By your mercy and grace, please satisfy the debt for me, and then set me free. That was the provision. Please don't liken it to the kind of slavery we saw here in America in relatively recent days. The African slave trade had nothing to do with this. In that circumstance, Nobody made a decision. The slave had slavery imposed upon him or her. They had nothing to say about it. It wasn't to be an indentured servant as it was in this day. It was to be somebody's property. The slave was robbed not only of uh, of freedom, but even the fundamental sense of personhood. Your chattel, 
your property. That's why I could own you. Folks, this was entirely different. In this day, the debtor begged the master to take him in under his roof so that his debt could be satisfied. And here's how God regulated it. Master, you don't own the slave. In fact, he's only going to be serving under your authority for six years. And in the seventh year, you are obligated to let him go free. He shall go out as a free man without payment. That's what the text said. Now the story goes on, verse 3. If he comes alone, the debtor comes He's single. He's not married. If he comes alone, he'll go out alone after six years. But if he's uh, the husband of a wife, he's married, then his wife shall go out with him. That makes sense. Who you come with, you go out with. Verse 4. But if his master gives him a wife, he's a single man, his master loves him. In many cases, the master actually considered him to be a member of the family. He comes single, he's alone. The master not only works out a deal to forgive his debt, but also to provide him with a wife. If this particular thing happens, and she, the woman given to the man by the master, she bears him sons and daughters, here's what happens. The wife and her children shall belong to her master, and he shall go out alone. He came with nothing. He leaves with nothing. That's what it says. But verse 5, this is very strange, folks. Take a look at this. But if the slave plainly says... I love my master, my wife, my children. I, I will not go out as a free man. See, here's the thing about reading the Bible. It's strange. Who in the world would opt for that? I don't get it. You just served a guy for six years to work off your debt. You succeeded. It's Freedom Day, the day of independence. Why in the world would anyone in their right mind exercise the option extended to them to stick around? I don't understand it. What would move you to forgo your freedom and remain forever a servant of your master? I don't get it. But if that's the choice this one made, then, according to verse 6, his master shall bring him to God, and then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear. You see, here we go. With this, with an awl. His master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. So apparently this is used not only to put holes in wood and leather, but even in people. In this case, a person's ear. What in the world is... Folks, let's go through this again. <laughs> I, the Bible is very different. A man incurred debt. He couldn't pay it. He sells himself into the service of another so as to repay the debt. The day finally comes when the debt is satisfied, he can go free. But he's given the option not to. He can remain under his master's authority if he chooses to. But wouldn't it be crazy for this man to do such a thing, to give up his freedom? But then it hit me. Maybe not. Is it real freedom to say goodbye to the master who loved you, who guided you, who provided for you, who protected you, who loved you like you've never been loved before? Is it real freedom to declare your independence 
from the master. Is that real freedom? Not only that. Let's say you declare your freedom and you go off. You leave your wife and children behind. How could you ever be free of guilt and shame if you abandon your family? Autonomy from the master is not all it's cracked up to be, you see. So the man would evaluate this. And he would say, oh, no. I've never been loved almost unconditionally like this. I'm going nowhere. I've found true freedom. You know what he would say? Freedom is being fastened to the master's house. I'm going to choose to do that. He would say, I'm staying. This is my free choice. I'm now free to choose. This is my choice. And I choose to remain with my master. He didn't do it out of fear or obligation. He did it in response, not to his master's power and authority. He did it in response to his master's love. Nobody ever loved him like this. Debt led him into this relationship. It was debt that was owed. Debt could not be paid, but his master forgave the debt. Not only that, gave him a family and embraced him as a family member. And so he chooses to stay on. He made the choice freely and realizes this is real freedom. Freedom is choosing to be fastened to the master's house. I mentioned earlier this all was the instrument by which all this unusual stuff was symbolized and uh, formalized. It symbolizes the servant's free choice to serve his master forever. And the servant is saying, as this pierces a hole in his ear, the servant is saying, oh, master, I only have ears for you. You have love for me. I have attentiveness for you, the likes of which I will not give to any other pseudo-master. Oh, God, I'm going to go through the world and there are going to be voices beckoning for my attention, even the voice of my own sinful heart. And I promise you from this day forward, I'll stifle those voices. Oh, God, this hole in my ear will forever remind me I am to lend my hearing to you first and foremost more than anybody else. And think about this. When that happened and the man's ear was pierced through, folks... It hurt. It's got to hurt. And that hit me. That too is a symbol of what it costs to submit to the mastery of the true master. To die to the self-life doesn't come easy. You know it. I know it. We accept the Lord Jesus freely by his grace. But to live under his lordship, lordship costs. I have been crucified with Christ. It's not an event. It's a daily experience. Even one better than me, Paul said, I'm fighting this battle. It's flesh. It's versus spirit. And that's the situation we're in. And it suddenly occurred to me, you know what? You're looking for this to be easy. It is not easy to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's painful. It costs to die to the self-life. But what an opportunity and what a deal. And then here, sometimes the servant, after he got his ear pierced, you know what he would do? He would insert an earring into the hole. 
I told the first service, I'm a little nervous because I think I just, from the holy platform pastor, gave people permission to go out there and get their ears pierced. You know what I mean? I think we should do it here in the lobby. We'll be able to take care. We'll fund the Envision program like crazy. So here's the deal. Do what you want to with your ears and every other body part. It's a free country. But that's not what this is talking about. Here's what happens when this guy would go around in public. After the private ceremony of having his ear pierced, he'd go out and about. You know what would happen? He'd be earmarked. That's pretty much where we got the expression. He'd be earmarked. People would, in the community would say, you know something? That guy belongs to someone else. That's what it means to be earmarked. A person or thing is set apart for the use, the ownership of another. This guy would go about and he would essentially say, don't even think it. I'm owned by my master. I'm not free. Don't even make a play for me. I belong to my master because you are interested in me, but you don't really love me. You want three and a half minutes of pleasure with me, if I last that long. You don't know who loves me forever. I'm not going to sell myself to some cheap, pan passing, temporary pleasure. I belong to the master who loves me like I've never loved, been loved before. That's what the earring would, would represent. And so when the servant, when the master drove that all through the servant's ear, uh, it went into the doorpost such that the servant for a while was literally fastened to the master's house. A symbol of permanent connection uh, by the servant to the master's house. Okay. Thanks for bearing with me. Ancient history. Thousands of years old. What is it for us? It's a cool story. Very interesting. I got a better one. <sighs> We are the debtor. We incurred a sin debt. How does that happen? In what we think, in what we say, in what we do, we are just prone to do that stuff which is totally contrary to a holy God. He's really holy. He's different than us. In fact, he's unapproachably so. We all have that in common. Therefore, we've incurred a sin debt. We owe him. We've, sinned. we've offended his holiness. But it's a debt we cannot pay. What are we going to do about it? Well, people try to do it. I know I'll do a token good thing here or there. I'll try to buy this God off. I'll say, yeah, okay, God, I, I don't really have it together. I, I've blown it, but uh, I'm not as bad as Matt Kirk. <laughs> you, know, you find someone you compare yourself to who's worse off than you are. And you think you can argue God out of his holiness. Or we try religious stuff. Let me just go through the motions, you know, kind of a Sunday nod for God, so to speak. It doesn't work. In fact, Scripture says, man, all this stuff falls short of the uh, unapproachably holy standards of Almighty God. So we're the people with debt that we could not satisfy. And in various ways... We approached Almighty God, the throne of grace. We admitted to our sin debt, and our appeal was based on mercy, nothing else. We, we appealed to his mercy, and the master said, I got plenty of that to go around. You are really uh, making an appeal on the right basis. You're not parading before me your good stuff because your good stuff is not good to me. It's not good enough. 
You're making the right appeal. You're appealing to my mercy, and uh, I'm the God of all mercy. So he made a payment for our debt in the form, man, I hope you never, never get tired of this, of his own body. That's the payment for my sin debt. And thus he pronounced upon me and you who've come to the master, he's pronounced upon us forgiveness of our debt. But that's not all. He also said, I got something else. I want to introduce you to your new family. I came just with debt. I didn't have anything, no real connections that mattered, certainly nothing that lasts into eternity. And God said, I've saved you into a family characterized by a sort of forever thing. It is this family, I got that, but it's even better. It's like a worldwide family of debtors who have found forgiveness through the mercy of Jesus Christ. And they speak all different languages and have different skin colors and genders and all the rest. It's the greatest family on earth. Nobody need to be excluded from it because the master says, there's plenty of room. I got plenty of mercy to go around. He didn't just say, I forgive you. He said, I got more. I got a family for you. We came with nothing. And now we're part of a magnificent family. Now look. As good as all that is, you know who you are and I know who I am. We still are prone to wander. It's irrational. I got it. That just shows you what the problem is within us. We sin against reason. And even though we have a master who's loved us like we've never been loved before, we're prone to wander. We do our own thing because the master has not extinguished our free will at all. And we from time to time fess up. We think that independence from the master is real freedom. Have you tried it? I'll tell you what you get. You get bondage. You find out, oh, master, why would I want to exercise my freedom from you? You have provided for me. You direct me. You love me. You've given me a family. You've satisfied my debt. There's nobody and no thing out there that has to offer what you have freely offered to me. And I think when that odd ceremony thousands of years ago with this instrument took place, I think Master Jesus, who always was, was standing by and essentially saying, ah, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want from you. That's, that's what I'm looking for. I want people to freely choose, not under compulsion. I want people, not out of fear, I want people to freely choose to be fastened to me, not grudgingly or under compulsion, but because they've come to the realization I love them more than anybody ever could. Could I ask you, don't you want to reaffirm your commitment to master Jesus today, right where you sit? You've tried this and that, so have I. It's left you empty. Don't you want to return and be fastened to the master's house. I know there's cost and pain involved. We talked about it earlier with reference to this piercing. But the pierced through one is worth it all. Folks, the world doesn't need more of us. It doesn't need more Christians. He needs more Christians who are fastened to the master's house, earmarked for Jesus. When we leave this place, don't you want to renew your commitment and dedication to him today? There was a guy really popular in my day, Bob Dylan. 
gifted lyricist. He had some kind of encounter with Jesus. I cannot in- comment on the authenticity of it. I don't, I, it's not for me to peer into someone's heart. But during his encounter with Jesus, and I really love this because he's a Jewish guy. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Dylan is a Jewish guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Has nothing to do with anything, but I take every <laughs> opportunity. You know what I mean? Dylan wrote this song. You gotta serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Make your choice. Who? Why not the master who loves you so much that at great personal cost he satisfied the debt of your sin? Folks, true freedom comes from being mastered by the true master. Jesus is the true master. True freedom is allowing Master Jesus to have mastery over our lives. Okay, let me close with this. I was in the military and uh, lost as a goose. And every night, my so-called friends would knock on my door to go out and do the stuff you do in the military. See, around every military installation, there are tons of bars and all that goes with it. That's what we did every night. And we thought we were free in doing it, yet all along we were being mastered by a cruel master. Flesh. So the guys come and knock on my door and they say, uh, they called me Stew Ball. So Told in first service, if you choose to do that, make it Reverend Stewball, would you please? <laughs> Have a little respect. They call me Stewball. They say, Stewball, come on, let's go, we're ready. But here's what happened I had come to realize this is not working for me. It's just emptiness. It's just not working every night, the same old stuff. I started looking for something else, but I didn't know who I was looking for. I came to be acquainted with this marvelous master, Lord Jesus. And it's amazing to me. He established his presence in my very life and was just changing me. Well, the guys knew about this. So on the night they came to invite me out, I said, I'm not going to go tonight, guys. I'm going to stay back. And here's what one of the guys said to me. He said, you know what your problem is? You become a slave to this Jesus. That's what he said. You're not free anymore. And I thought, I mean, this was a God-supplied thing because I was just new as a believer. I said to him, no, no, no. You don't have it right. For the first time in my life, I'm not enslaved. I'm free. I'm free to say no. I'm saying no to the stuff that held me in bondage. I'm saying yes to Master Jesus. True freedom is to be mastered by the Lord Jesus. True freedom is to be fastened to the master's house. Have you experienced that kind of freedom? If not, why not? You gotta serve somebody. Why not the God who was pierced through for you and for me? When all we had to offer was debt, he said, that qualifies you for my mercy. Why not come to the Lord Jesus? 
Folks, this is a rough and crazy day more than ever before. We need the mastery that only he can master. He wants us to go from this place absolutely earmarked for him. Why don't you consider making that decision even today? Lord Jesus, that's who you are. Lord of life. Oh, God in heaven, thank you more than words could express for being willing to take us into your household and satisfy our debt. Oh, God in heaven, you freed us from so much. And in this day, when every day we have cause for apprehension and fear, if we choose to be mastered to the master's house, we're going to be set free from slavery to sin and passions, society, and also free from the fear that can so overwhelmingly take care of us. Oh, God in heaven, may it be that everyone here can say, I'm no longer a slave to sin. No way. I am a child of God.